0: Bienvenidos a Crónicas de la Raza. Welcome to La Raza Chronicles. On tonight's program, we bring you noticias, arte, cultura, como siempre. We start off with Noticias Sin Fronteras, bringing you Noticias de las Américas, bringing you news from all over America Latina and the Latino community, in the Bay and beyond. We also share with you an interview with KPFA's own Andres Soto on what is happening right now in Richmond and a little bit more background and context into some of the work happening to make the Chevron Corporation accountable for its environmental impact on the community. We are also going to hear from Julio Salgado from Culture Strike around an important exhibit around immigration and borders at Galeria de la Raza. and you're in for a treat we're hearing from youth poets that are part of writers core and you will get to hear radio premieres of some beautiful poems by some local young people all this and of course much more stay tuned
1: Buenas noches, this is Velma V with Noticias Sin Fronteras, news headlines without borders, covering America Latina for the week ending August 24th. Brazil. The Brazilian Socialist Party has formally named internationally renowned environmentalist Maria Silva as its new presidential candidate following the death of Eduardo Campos in a plane crash earlier this month. Silva is widely seen as a leading challenger to current President Dilma Rousseff, who is seeking re-election as the Workers' Party candidate in the upcoming presidential election scheduled for October 5th. Silva stated, quote, I will give the best I have in me, end quote. Congressman Beto Albuquerque was named the party's new vice presidential candidate. Colombia, for the first time in their 50-year history of armed conflict, guerrilla leaders from the FARC and military officers from the Colombian army met face-to-face in Havana, Cuba last Friday to continue their peace talks aimed at ending the region's longest running civil war. Ivan Marquez, the FARC's lead negotiator, stated, quote, now is the time for us to get rid of our uniforms, end quote. The Colombian government's lead negotiator, Humberto de la Calle, stated, quote, we've entered a decisive moment in the process. There's a real possibility of ending the conflict, end quote. The talks have produced agreements on land reform, political participation, and curbing drug trafficking. Venezuela. Venezuela decided earlier this month to close its 1,300-mile border with Colombia between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. The closures apply to all ground, air, and river travel between the two countries. This is an effort to end the massive amounts of contraband, fuels, and basic food staples that end up being sold in Colombia after being subsidized by the government of Venezuela. Both the Venezuelan and Colombian governments agreed to the border closures. However, it appears that officials in Colombia were surprised at the speed of the closures. Venezuela is issuing special permits for those who need to cross the border at night because of work or study. Mexico The government of Mexico, led by President Enrique Peña Nieto, announced last week the inauguration of a new 5,000-member police unit known as a, quote, Hendarmerie. The new unit will be primarily tasked with combating economic crimes in business, farm, and industrial areas. The new force recruits are an average age of 28 years old and have not served in any other police force. Mexico's National Statistics Institute estimate that in 2012, economic crime in the form of extortion, kidnapping, and outright theft cost the country $16.5 billion, Peña Nieto stated that the new police force will, quote, serve and protect Mexicans in areas where it is needed or where institutions are weak, end quote. Miguel Morguel, researcher at Mexico's Fundar Think Tank, stated, quote, it is naive to think that just by creating a new force with people who haven't been in the police before that things are going to change, end quote. Finally tonight, if you think that the Americas are shifting, you're right, at least when it comes to the ground beneath it. This past week, three major earthquakes were felt in the Americas. The Bay Area experienced a 6.0 earthquake that was centered in the Napa Valley last Sunday morning. Chile was rocked by a 6.4 magnitude earthquake that was centered around its capital, Valparaíso, last Saturday, and a 6.9 magnitude earthquake struck southern Peru Sunday evening, damaging various buildings, including a hospital. This has been a summary of some of the latest news headlines from América Latina. I'm Vilma V for Noticias Sin Fronteras and La Raza Chronicles. If you have a news item or feedback that you would like to share, email us at Chronicles at kpfa.org.
2: The real outside agitators. As the days and nights of angry resistance rage on in Ferguson, Missouri, the corporate media embarks on its newest campaign, the proposed banning of outside agitators. It is ironic in the extreme to hear black reporters and black cops and indeed black activists launch a verbal attack against outside agitators when... Were it not for such protesters during the hottest days and nights of the Civil Rights Movement, they would not exist. For the phrase, outside agitators, was born in the minds and mouths of white Southern segregationists who decried the arrival of white and black students from the North, who worked to registered voters, found freedom schools, and joined the freedom riders on buses to break state segregation laws. Remember the Southern Christian Leadership Conference? That's Martin King's organization. When SCLC staged marches in Alabama, that state's governor, George Wallace, called SCLC, quote, professional agitators with pro-communist affiliations, unquote. Sound familiar? How close to outside agitators? The phrase begs the question, outside of what? The state? America? This country is called the United States of America, founded upon a constitution. Do all people have the right to protest, or just certain residents? Is what happened to Mike Brown a local matter, or is this really a national issue? It's not the job of media to police protests, pitting good demonstrators against bad ones. Their job is to report, period. Were it not for these protests, let us be frank, the media would have ignored this story. If the media was doing its job reporting on the vicious state violence launched against young blacks the nation over, perhaps Mike Brown would be alive today. Let us look at the cops, almost 98% of whom are outside and outsiders to Ferguson. They work there. But they kill there. But they don't live there. They dwell in neighboring whiter counties and towns. Who are the real outside agitators? From Imprison Nation, this is Mumia Abu-Jamal. These commentaries are recorded by Noel Hanrahan of Prison Radio.
3: is Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles. I have in the studio tonight Andres Soto. He is a programmer here at KPFA, but he's also an activist out in the community, especially in Richmond. Bienvenidos, bienvenidos.
4: Gracias, Nina.
3: It's a pleasure to have you here. Every time you come, you bring us an <laughs> enormous amount of in-depth information. I don't know how you hold it all together. It's really remarkable. But could you begin by telling us where things are at right now between the community of Richmond and the situation with the oil company.
4: Sure. A couple weeks ago, the City Council of Richmond chose not to accept the Planning Commission's recommendations, which were uh, modifying Chevron's proposal, but imposing four stringent conditions on a conditional use permit. The City Council, in exchange for $90 million, watered it down. And uh, so right now, our organization, Communities for a Better Environment, and our allies, APEN, Asian Pacific Environmental Network, are examining our our options on where we move forward on this because we believe that there were violations of CEQA as well as the Brown Act in adopting the, the City Council resolution but part of that coincided with the our power convening which was a national conference held in Richmond of climate justice activists one of it was sponsored by the Climate Justice Alliance
3: well let me backtrack a little there is a conflict here or what I'm hearing between the City Council and the mayor who I know for example, to be so militant against the abuses of the oil company to the community of Richmond. So how did this come about?
4: Well, it was a split vote on the council. Uh, the vote was five to two with the mayor, Gail McLaughlin, and Jovanka Beckles of Panameña, who both are members of the Richmond Progressive Alliance, voting to abstain on the deal that was cut by the rest of the city council. Two of the council members are totally in the pocket of Chevron, uh, Nat Bates and Corky Bouset, but there's three council members in the Middle who essentially got money for some of their pet projects. First, you know, Chevron put 30 million on the table, then 60 million, and by the time the city council meeting came around, they had uh, 90 million on the table, and that seemed to sway their vote.
3: So This makes the upcoming election this November even more critical. Can you fill us in on what that's about?
4: Sure. Chevron has been very dismayed at the way the people of Richmond have been voting over the last several elections, electing progressives who are willing to hold Chevron accountable to the community. And so this go around, they're having once again their candidate, Nat Bates, who's 82 years old and who's slept through most of the city council meeting uh, where this decision was being made. They're running him for mayor. And so the Richmond Progressive Alliance has a slate that we call Team Richmond. Our mayor, Gail McLaughlin, is termed out. And so she's going to run for city council now, along with uh, Jovanka Beckles, who's running for re-election, and then Eduardo Martinez, who's also an RPA member. And we're working in alliance, actually, with Tom Butt. Uh, our candidate, Mike Parker, bowed out because we didn't want to split the progressive vote. And uh, Tom Butt entered at the 11th and a half hour. He's going to be working on behalf of our candidates. He tends to vote with us in general. Uh, but, you know, there's some times where he's like a very independent voice. He's not beholden to anybody. He's a local independent architect. So that, that's kind of the challenge we're facing. But they have $1.5 million in the bank right now that they plan on spending in this local election.
3: Is that the Bates campaign?
4: That is Nat Bates. And then we don't know what other candidates are going to support. Uh, we do know that one of the candidates uh, for re-election actually is Corky Bouzet, who after running nine times and losing, finally got elected in 2008. But since then, he's had a, a coterie of, of disruptors who have been making very racist and homophobic remarks at city council meetings and he himself is very disruptive at the council meetings and so apparently the polling shows that he was in real deep trouble so then ra- rather than running for re-election for a four-year seat he's actually challenging a vacancy appointment candidate J.L. Myra who works for assembly member Nancy Skinner who's uh, got to run for a two-year seat because of uh, the rules in Richmond so that shows he's in in a desperate straight uh, but you know they've plucked out a bunch of other folks they 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 usually try to make a long kind of uh, ballot of names to confuse folks, and uh, that's what they're doing again.
3: Well, I think I'm a little confused now. Since Parker has withdrawn from the election and he was the Progressive Alliance's candidate, who then will be running against Bates from the Progressive Alliance?
4: Well... Richmond Progressive Alliance is going to work with Tom Butt, uh, who is going to challenge uh, Bates. Tom Butt is not a member of the Richmond Progressive Alliance, but has generally voted in alignment with the RPA candidates or the RPA members.
3: So. You were telling us something about this national conference, Our Power, that had taken place. Can you please fill (laughs) us in on what that was
4: about? Sure. The uh, Climate Justice Alliance is a group of environmental justice organizations that met a few years back at the U.S. Social Forum in Detroit and uh, created this national network of organizations. And they've had three different conferences, uh, one in Detroit and last year in Black Mesa Reservation in Arizona and this year in, in Richmond. And there were 430 people who showed up from around the country and even internationals. We had people from the Philippines, Brazil, Mexico and Ghana, as well as Canada and different parts of the U.S. from all people dealing with the fossil fuel industry. So we had people from Kentucky dealing with coal. We had people, you know, once again, from Black Mesa who are dealing with coal. And then, of course, people from all around the country are dealing with oil down in the Gulf Coast, but also people dealing with fracking, uh, like up in North Dakota at the Bakken Fields. And uh, we had a strong representation from local communities right now who are dealing with the development of this crude by rail, uh, where they're bringing in the fracked oil as well as the tar sands. It was not just focusing on problems, it was also focusing on resiliency and our vision for the future.
3: So part of your vision for the future seems to be this button that you've just given me that says, stop Crude by rail. Can you explain what that slogan is
4: about? Sure. There's been this boon in oil being fracked in North Dakota, and it's known as Bakken because that's called the Bakken field up there, as well as uh, the tar sands up in Alberta, Canada. And while they're waiting to develop the Keystone XL pipeline to deliver this product down to the Gulf Coast refineries, uh, they realize that they can start to shift to bring this product to the West Coast refineries by rail. And unfortunately, Unfortunately, the rail industry itself, the, the rail cars that they use, these black tanker cars that are known as DOT 111's Department of Transportation 111, are completely inadequate for transporting this material. And we've seen catastrophic explosions and 47 deaths, uh, for example, in Lac-Megantic in, in Quebec, Canada last year, just had the one-year anniversary of that. But there's been several others in Castleton, North Dakota, Aliceville, Alabama, and most recently in Lynchburg, Virginia, where this material caught on fire and actually spilt into the James River, which is the water source for uh, Richmond, Virginia and other towns leading down to the Chesapeake Bay. We don't want to see that kind of catastrophic explosion happen here in the Bay Area, but they're already bringing it in to Richmond, actually, on the BNSF yard through Kinder Morgan, the nation's largest pipeline company who's behind the Keystone XL. And so there's projects in Rodeo at the Phillips 66 refinery and in Benicia at the Valero refinery and also down in Santa Maria at the Phillips 66 refinery that we're trying to stop
3: so You mentioned Valero. Can you explicate that a little?
4: Sure. The Valero refinery in Benicia is actually the most, it's the newest refinery built in the United States, and that was built in 1969. And so right now they get 100% of their crude oil brought in by ships uh, at their harbor in Benicia on the Carquinez Straits. They want to completely eliminate that and bring in two 50-car trains per day into Benicia, excuse me, two 100-car trains per day into Benicia and bring it into their refinery because their business model does not involve extraction. Valero does not pull oil out of the ground like Chevron or Shell. What they do is they buy it on the open market and this Bakken crude and the tar sands crude are discounted and so they can get a wider profit margin by bringing in this cheaper crude oil, except that is extremely volatile. They plan on blending these two, which is very unstable, and we predict that it'll lead to more corrosion and it'll lead to a greater risk in the refining operation, but more importantly, the risk of catastrophic explosion right on the waterways, whether it's the Carkina Strait, the Sassoon Marsh, or even the bay itself.
3: So this would also be coming in by rail cars that you described that are not fit for mm-hmm. containing this product?
4: Yeah, and they're even claiming, Valero's claiming, that they will uh, use these modern, more modern cars that are called 1232s. But we saw in Lynchburg, Virginia, that they are completely inadequate from preventing these kind of catastrophic explosions. And so contrary to their claims that this is a, a safer car, our our understanding and our line is it may be safer, but they're not safe and if there was a catastrophic explosion near the refinery there uh, it would destroy the industrial park which is the economic engine of Benicia Uh, but it would also explode right onto the homes nearby and it would destroy the property values of this you know nice white middle-class community that Benicia is which is unlike the other refinery towns of Martinez Rodeo and Richmond which uh, have a lot of people of color and working-class and poor people
3: and so what is the response what is the fight back.
4: Well, right now, there is a draft environmental impact report. There have been two hearings of the Planning Commission uh, where they've had to have two spillover rooms and have people sitting out in the courtyard because there's been such a turnout in Benicia. Next month in September, they plan on having their final comments on this uh, draft environmental impact report. We're asking for them to recirculate it, that this environmental impact report is fatally flawed because it it overstates the, the lack of risk of explosion. It understates impact on traffic and many other problems with it but also you know getting back to Richmond uh, communities for a better environment Asian Pacific Environmental Network Natural Resources Defense Council and the Sierra Club have sued the Bear Air Quality Management District and Kinder Morgan for their operation in Richmond and on September 5th at 1 p.m. at San Francisco Superior Court 400 McAllister just across street from San Francisco City Hall we're gonna have a court hearing over there where we're gonna try to get an injunction to stop this project
3: well this 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 is a lot of action and response, and that's what we really need to clean up our environment and keep our towns here in the Bay Area safe. So thank you so much, Andres Soto. We'll be looking forward to more reports from you of what's happening. And thank you so much for your activism.
4: Well, thank you. And, you know, I just want to throw out one other date, which is September 3rd. Uh, We're going to have an action at the Bay Area Air Quality Management District at 9 a.m., which is at 939 Ellis, just off of Van Ness, also near the Civic Center. San Francisco, because the Air District has uh, is developing what is known as the Regional Refinery Emissions Rule, where we want to see them reduce emissions, but the staff, the Executive Director, Jack Broadbent, and his executive staff are selling out the communities and, and giving away the store to the industry, and we want to go there and protest that and deliver that message to the board members.
3: Can you repeat the time and place and date?
4: <laughs> sure. That will be Wednesday, September 3rd. At 9 a.m. will be the rally. The meeting starts at 9.45 a.m., at the Bay Area Air Quality Management District headquarters, which is at 939 Ellis Street, just off of Van Ness in San Francisco, and if people want more information, they can contact me, Andres Soto, at 510. 510- Two eight two five three six three, or email me at Andres A N D R E S at C B E Cal C A L one word dot org.
3: Can you give that last email address again?
4: Sure, Andres A N D R E S at C B E Cal dot org.
3: Muchas gracias, Andres.
4: No, gracias a ti.
0: raza chronicles Cronicas de la Raza we have on the line with us artist and activist Julio Salgado he's part of a really exciting show that is at Galeria de la Raza it's called Carving Through Borders and it connects a lot of important dots about struggle around pro migrant messaging and it touches on a lot of really important issues Julio thank you so much for joining us
5: No thank you for having me thank you so much for us also spring the word about this this show where we're really excited to bring this show that, you know, a lot of amazing artists were part of and to bring forward this pro-migrant art and really share with the community that is being affected mostly by, you know, all this anti-migrant law, you know, anti-migrant hate, and, you know, we should really you know, wanted to to make this show about that, about what's going on in our migrant communities.
0: So, Julio, the pieces are really covering a huge range of themes. It's really hard to talk about art, but if you could talk about some of the themes that you think really come alive through these pieces, because there's some really large pieces, actually. There's things that, you know, really people can't help but be affected by. So what are some of the themes people will see covered if they get to Galeria de la Raza and see Carving Through Borders?
5: It's interesting that you mentioned that because we really wanted to complicate the narrative. You know, when, when we talk about immigration, people should sort of see two-dimensional stories. You know, they see people just moving to another country, but a lot of the times, you know, when you see news clips, you know, you don't see the reason behind it. You don't see the reasons why people are migrating to this country. You don't see the other, other communities that are being affected by the issue of immigration. One piece in particular, one of my favorite pieces, was by an artist. His name is Chucha Marquez, and he's actually from Davis. And his piece is about, you know, trans women in detention facilities. This specific piece, he touches upon a case of a, from a, a trans woman that, was, that died because she wasn't given medication. She, she had AIDS and she wasn't given medication. And so those things that we don't really care about when you're talking about immigration were really important for us to, to try to, like, complicate this, this other story, you know, accomplish the narrative that is being put out there. And, and I think that through art, it's a unique way to be able to, you know, to tell the story. And so that's just one, one of the intersectionalities that we wanted to put forward in this show.
0: And so that's one taste of some of the yeah. themes that are being covered. So what are the styles? Julio Salgado, you are part of Culture Strike, and Culture Strike really prides itself from a diversity of artists. It's artists that are really coming together to push for social change and create policies that respect human rights and dignity for all. So can you talk about some of the mediums people use to take up and, and tell these stories? So for
6: this
5: the specific show, we actually commissioned uh, 15 artists to do giant seven by three foot uh, wood blocks, and they carved them, and you know we used a steamroller to print a lot of them but the help well, we actually connected with uh, Syracuse University, and so we we did this huge piece. A lot of the artists this was the first time ever doing carving. That was, it was I, my piece. It was the first time I ever did a a carving, you know, of, of that magnitude. And so it was really amazing to have artists like Emery Douglas, who is an icon in art, uh, artivism, and to, for him to be part of this of this show was was really for us. Is like you know connecting you know other issues that affect us all, affect our community. And so for a lot of them, it was a First time using carving, you know, and printing this disciples pieces. So it was, it was an experiment for a lot of us. For us too, it was, uh, you know, asking folks, what is it exactly that? What can we do with this, right? Like, so you make pieces, you make art. You, what, what do you do with this art? And so for us, it was important to bring out local organizations and work with them. And you know, we have, we're having on September thirteenth, we're having this printing day where organizations are gonna, you know, get to come to to the Galeria de la Raza and we're going to be printing, you know, and, and for us, it's important, you know, or organizations to see how they can use art for the work that they're already doing. And so it's not just about making art for the sake of making art, but for art, for this art to be used as a tool for organization.
0: That's the voice of Julio Salgado. He's with Culture Strike. He's been a big part of this show that is at Galeria de la Raza in San Francisco's Mission District on 24th Street, right near Bryant, I believe. And the show is already up. It went up. August 2nd, and it will be there until September 19th. So Julio, you are one of the artists. Your art is also part of this show. Tell us about your piece. What story is behind the piece that you created for this?
5: Right, so for my piece, a lot of the art that I do, I, I intersect the issues of being queer, being undocumented, because I'm part of both communities. I'm undocumented and queer, or undocumented queer, you know, some of us call ourselves. And for the piece I made, I had some messages in there that you know that it was going beyond marriage. Um, because a lot of the times in queer communities, all you hear about is like gay marriage. For a lot of us, it's like, if we're beyond marriage. We want to make sure that our families don't get deported. We don't want to get deported. We don't, you know. So there's, there's, I wanted to make this piece in honor of my other brother and sisters who are going through the, this issues again, and a lot of the times you don't see your issues reflected in you know in the communities that you belong to, and my piece is called homeland security, <laughs> and and uh, and it's really a play of, in words of, of homeland security, and and you know I, I really do believe that that there is space to have this conversation, you know, about queer issues in in the migrant communities, because again, a lot of the times also in the migrant spaces we don't talk about queer issues because a lot of the times you have religious groups who are very pro-migrants, but when it comes to talking about queer issues, you know, they don't really like to talk about that. So so we, we really need to push those, uh, you know, and, and this work really comes from the work that the organizers have been doing for years to push to have this conversation. And so I'm just really inspired by the work that organizers do, you know, that are pushing for undocumented and queer issues. And, and I just, I feel like I, I document work through art and so, so I'm, I'm really proud of that piece it took me a long time to make it but but I'm, I'm really you know i hope that that people really see the the meaning behind that and and there's so many other pieces that is you know we had amazing artists we had we had artists from here from the bay we had artists from la we had an artist from miami so it was really amazing to have a diverse group of artists you know, doing art that reflects what's going on in, in, in the immigrant world.
0: That's the voice of Julio Salgado. He is with Culture Strike and is a big part of this exhibit that's right now up at Galeria de la Raza, Carving Through Borders. So, Julio, it's already been up for a couple weeks now, the exhibit. You said that a lot of the reason that you all wanted to tell these stories is you wanted to support some of the movement work that's happening and also provide tools for storytelling Mm -hmm. to tell larger stories. So how has that played out? Have there been an opportunities for people who are living the struggles that are depicted in the art to connect with the art? Have there been opportunities for organizations that are advocating on a daily to utilize the art or artists being able to kind of get a sense of what visitors are feeling when they experience the pieces?
5: Yes, we actually, um, in in conjunction with the with exhibit, we made a billboard that outside, that's right in the corner of Brian and Twenty Four. That's outside Galeria La Raza. They change billboards every so often, and so we actually culture strike work with this organization called Poder. And Poder, they're based in the mission. They One of their biggest campaigns it's called Pueblote, and where they really try to find gentrification in the mission, and as we all know, like what's going on in the mission. And gentrification is actually one of the biggest issues that are affecting migrant communities. And so that's another big thing that, that we wanted to, you know, and, and we worked with the youth and the youth came up with the design and, you know, they carved it and, and we should digitized the image and we made it into this big billboard. And so it was really interesting to me to like meet, you know, young folks who a lot of them, you know, their parents are undocumented and they were talking about, you know, my family is getting kicked out of our apartment. Because you know rent is going so high, and so it, it's really important to to highlight the the fact that our communities are being displaced from their homes, and that's another issue that is that is affecting the migrant community. And so you know it was really amazing to to work with you that are just so passionate about this issue. You know, I remember being that age and I'm just like, wow, these kids are just amazing. They're, they're, they're really, you know, pushing forward and, and really, you know, inspiring us as artists to make sure that that we include that in our work. And that one of the things that I told you, like, like I keep calling them kids, but they're, you know, amazing youth is that, you know, the coming up with, with the concept was, was one of the most important things. And, and one of the, the, the biggest concepts that we came up with was blooming in the midst of gentrification, because we wanted to create a piece that highlights that the community is doing something to fight gentrification and so and so that was that was an amazing experience to, to be able to be part of that and, and to be working with the youth that are doing amazing work in the mission.
0: So the mural that was created by youth in collaboration with Culture Strike is on display and people can just drive by any time of the day and they can see it. It's really on the corner right there, Corner Bryant and 24th and people can check it out and people can go inside and see the exhibit. So Julio, why don't you give our listeners some more information again about where Galeria de la Raza is, how they can see the exhibit, in terms terms of how often the gallery is open and also give our listeners some more information about Culture Strike.
5: So Galeria La Raza is located at 2852 24th Street right there in the corner of 24th and Bryan in San Francisco in the heart of the mission and the show is going to be open all the way through September 19th. The gallery uh, times vary so I would urge people to de la raza.com. To, uh, to check out the times and, and so, yes, yeah, so the culture strike, we, it's a network of artists, artists from across the country, from various, you know, from different mediums. And our goal is to make sure that pro-migrant imagery, uh, and other type of art is created to fight the anti-migranty because, you know, the anti-migrants are super, you know, they're really united in, in their message, you know, which is kick us out, get rid of those illegal immigrants. And for us, it's really important that we, we fight that. And, and I think that we, we believe that through culture, we can do that. And so, so for us, it's really important to support artists that are, are doing this type of work. And I'm really, you know, really excited to be part of this organization because as an undocumented artist, you know, finding that support from my community, it's amazing. And so, so we're really excited. So people come through, you know, Galeria La Raza until September uh, 19th and September 13th. That's when we're having the community events from 11 to 3 PM.
0: So tell us more about that event. If there are people listening that want to plug in they their artists themselves and they want to be a part of this pro-migrant storytelling, they want to be a part of all this action. Tell us about that event happening on yeah, the 13th. So we're actually have, yeah,
5: so we're actually going to have the blocks that we used that were carved by the artists, and we're actually going to be making prints. And so we're asking organizations to come out, and we're giving free prints to organizations. If you look us up on Facebook on Culture Strike, the invite is coming up soon. But uh, we're asking organizations that want to be part of this, that want to, you know, come and and get their friends to RSVP with us. We want to make art so that the organization can use this this art, not just for the sake of making. And and that's going to be from 11 to 3 p.m. on Saturday, September 13th. And there's actually a second part of that. It's going to be a long day, but at at 6 p.m., we're going to have a reading by undocumented artists who are reading from a new anthology called Home and Time of Displacement. And it's an anthology that was was created by undocumented writers. And, you know, we're going to have a reading. And and so it's going to be a big day of art making. And and sharing some palabra, you know, some our, our stories. So we have a lot of the times, and so so we're really excited how it goes. September 13, I gotta tell that starting at 11:00 a.m.
0: So starting at 11am people are just going to have to eat some delicious food in the mission to kind of keep themselves you know satiated para poder seguir con la lucha y seguir creando arte because there's going to be a lot of opportunities for people that day to really be a part of some really beautiful reframing retelling of stories because it's it's really going to be a positive day so all day art and poetry so and readings of all kinds people can check Culture Strike? And where else can they find out more about the event on the 13th?
5: To RSVP, to the event, you can you can email me. They can email me at julio at culturestrike.org. So that's where, if, if you're an organization, you're listening, and you want to be part of this event, email me at julio at culturestrike.org.
0: Well, thank you so much. That's the voice of Julio Salgado. He is an artist, and activist, and he has been a big part of this beautiful exhibit that is up now at Galeria de la Raza. It's up for just a few more weeks, so people need to Get on it, and we recommend that people also take part in this day on the 13th of September. So thank you so much. Muchísimas gracias, Julio, por hablar con nosotros. Thank much. you. No,
5: thank you for
7: having me.
0: This next song is by Carla Morrison off her CD, Aprendiendo a Aprender. Esta canción se llama Pan Dulce. This song is called Pan Two. Dulce. Three.
8: Bye. Oh. Si te voy a
3: This is Nina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles. I'm very excited to have in the studio today Jack Hirschman, the former Poet Laureate of San Francisco, a member of the Revolutionary Poets Brigade, the author of over 50 books of poetry, an editor, a translator, and he's here today to tell us about the event he's having tomorrow.
6: Yes. Tomorrow there will be an event at the Emerald Tablet at 7 o'clock. The Emerald Tablet is in North Beach on Fresno Alley, right across the way from the Café Trieste and right in the alley where the saloon is, 7 o'clock. And there will be readers from many different countries they will be reading also for my book. I will be reading it also. It's The Viet Arcane, a book I wrote in 1970-71 for the Vietnamese people during the American War in Vietnam, and it was lost in 1996, the last um, typescript that I had, and it was found in 2012 by Alessandra Baba, my biographer in Rome, who was surfing the internet and found it in a college in Philadelphia, La Salle College, and... Convinced them of her legitimacy as my biographer, and they sent me the book, and it was just published by Mark Wyman's uh, Regent Press here in Berkeley. The readers will include Agneta Falk, originally from Sweden, Lina Shalabi, who is a Palestinian, Lapo Guzzini, who is a co-founder of the Emerald Tablet, he's from Italy, Dorothy Payne, who's lived in Indonesia. Israel and Jamaica, and Jami Proctor Shu, who was just back from Beijing, China. So they are among those who will be reading from the work. My work is in 36 sections, each section a part of the city of Hanoi. I'm going to read here, just as an announcement for tomorrow's events, this is tomorrow Wednesday at seven o'clock. I'm going to read the prologue to the Viet Arcane. I should say This Paulig mentioned 17 years. This was written to my first wife, Ruth Seymour, who actually worked for KPFK for many years down in Los Angeles. But ironically enough, this is about the same time that my second wife and I have been together, Agneta Falk. We were married 17 years ago today. I write this in the manner of our friendship, the first moment we met. How could we know our hands would find the party of this love and that a people would uh, bind us to the whole world so completely? Even then, though we didn't know it, space was preparing this deepest tree. In the book on Kabbalah, I can see the ten Svirot forming the tree of life but the one it ultimately derives from, the tall tree with the children burning in it, I look at with another eye. What can one make to gift what prince, what virgin, when these fields are strewn with hymens? I pick up a dead infant in a poem and carry him to the next village, out of the path of the bombardment. He lives in the arms of my free verse. I recognize him, a burned Jesus Christ of three years, our abortion. In the poem, our only hope and party, he lives, a fiction truer than the science of the war which murdered him. This little Criminal of our exaltation, who's become a grain of rice in my hand, I taste it like one of the thousand thrown at us. I taste with you under the Kan Fu Dien, the red veil, the wine and the way of our wedding in the true temple in Hanoi. And in the darkness later, I run my hand over your body, beloved, bleeding beside me, the river outside braiding its hair with fire and water, the air teeming with eyes that stare and stare, not yet born and already not wanting to be, curving back inwardly, fetuses all over the sky that's round as a womb that refuses to ring, for the world will not be there save only by the sounding of the poesy. We dye its rhythms, its rainbow colors, that the heart leaps, wail up, and the bridges so many small ribs, the hills we've kept to ourselves like uh, blushes of breasts you taste the blackening chokeberry and morsels of betel nut mixed with the bitters of friends and family bombed sprayed to death i taste the miles and miles of tunnels under the earth where we lived and resisted where only lendong and the struggle for the victory of justice could redeem the small graves aligning the cloaks of our utter nakedness that all the world may see.
3: You just heard Jack Kirschman reading his original poem called Viet Arcane, and he'll be reading it with many other poets reading the various poems and verses of this book tomorrow night at the Emerald Tablet in San Francisco.
6: Let me say also, if I may, that the opening reading tomorrow night will be by the current poet laureate of the city of San Francisco, Alejandro Murguía.
0: We're now going to play a song by Mono Blanco, the Afro-Mexican son jarocho group that was here last weekend at La Peña. And if folks are obsessed with son carocho, as we know many, many of our listeners are, you can actually have the opportunity to take a class. Mono Blanco will, will be teaching a son jarocho workshop this Thursday at La Peña Cultural Center on Shattuck, avenue in berkeley california it's open to the public it starts at seven and is fifteen to twenty dollars sliding scale we really recommend that folks learn from the experts mono blanco is important and, and we we'll leave you with this song Listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. Up next, you're going to hear some poems from some youth poets who are part of Writers' Corps. For more information about Writers' Corps and how to participate, parents, students, and school representatives can contact Writers' Corps at, at writerscore.org, which is W R I T E R S C O R P S dot or facebook.com slash writers' They can also call 415 252 two five
9: four six hi my name is Andrea Rodriguez my poem is titled divided in three my sorrowful soul is in the ocean it is part of the never-ending blue the land swallows fractions of me my heart is in the land it sways with the lifeless branches the beat is not always in unison with the sky my head is in the dark sky my eyes are the dimly lit stars and my brain is a useless moon Hi, my name is Anna Gray. I'm 14 years old and I'm going to be a freshman in high school. I'm with Writer's Corps. My poem's name is That Empty Feeling. I stomped around the soft snow with my charcoal-colored boots, waiting for the bus. The cool air wrapped around me. I tied my scarf. After a few minutes of waiting, I turned around to ask my friend what time it was, but no one was there. I felt myself turn red and felt slightly nauseous. I looked directly above me, seeing tall, sad-looking trees moving swiftly around the sun's glare. I felt dizzy and sat down. It seemed like hours before I realized the horrible truth that crept up behind me. No, I thought, this cannot be happening. I had forgotten to call my mother. Just as I frantically found my chunky phone, I heard a beep that meant that it was dead. I was about to cry my heart out for being so forgetful when I felt... Familiar hands slide on my
0: shoulders.
7: My name is Cecilia, I'm 13, and I'm here with Writers' Corps. And the title of my poem is called Home. To me, my home is where I am safe. It's who I'm with and it makes me feel okay. Like when I am with my family, I wouldn't roam anywhere else because here I stay in my home. Home is like a warm soup of life but home is the can the soup belongs in, too. My home is not physically there because it's in my heart. Anywhere I feel great, the park, the store, or the library, is where I call home. Home is where I belong. It's not rainy or cloudy, but sunny and beautiful. Somewhere where you can hear the beautiful chirping of birds. Home is the city I'm from. Home is where my heart is, but most importantly, Home is where I am.
10: Hi, my name is Elisa. I'm starting ninth grade, and I'm with the writer's score. When I was a kid, I was pretty dumb. It was in kindergarten during nap time. I woke up with the biggest urge to pee. I got up and approached my teacher. Can I go pee? I asked, jumping slightly. No, my teacher pointed at my ghetto bed. I made a slight whimpering sound. I was desperate for some sweet relief. I looked around for a place to pee. With no luck, I walked to the middle of the room. I looked around making sure no one would notice after all everyone was sleeping. I got into a squatting position like I was sitting on an imaginary toilet. No, I needed to be and fast. I didn't even take off my pants. Hopefully my teacher learned her lesson, always let me use the bathroom. I had to use her daughter's pants and they were really loose. It felt weird. My name is Jenna Liu and I'm 14. This year I'm going to be a freshman at Lowell High School. I'm with Writers' Corps. My poem is called Stereotypes. I'm tall, so I must be on the basketball team. I'm quiet, so I must be antisocial. I'm serious, so I must not take jokes well. I play piano, so I must be graceful. I play sports, so I must be skinny. I'm Asian, so I must have perfect grades and neat handwriting. Are stereotypical so you must think all of those things are true
7: hi my name is wilson chan and i'm with writers corp i am going to be a freshman this year at lowell high the title of my poem is if i was a leader if i was a leader i would respect everyone i would respect my people with all my heart only then would i truly gain their respect if i was a leader i would motivate everyone to make the right choices i will lead my people to a better future If I was a leader, I would help my people, no matter how easy or hard, I would help them with all I got. I would help them get through hard times with both my body and soul. If I was a leader, I would provide everyone with nourishment and work that would guarantee them fulfilling meals and productive work. If I was a leader, I would provide all my people with love that would give them joy and positive energy to continue their wonderful lives.
0: The poems you just heard were written and read by this group of Writers' Corps students. This class was taught by Harold Tereson. Harold Tereson is an educator and poet from Pacoima, California. He was awarded the San Francisco Foundation James D. Fleeland Literary Award in 2013. As a teaching artist with Writers' Corps, he helped San Francisco youth find their voice through poetry and writing. Harold will also be the instructor for Poetry for the People at San Francisco City College this fall. The Poetry for the People class will draw on a long tradition of poetry and truth-telling, self, and community empowerment. The class welcomes novice and veteran poets. 11th and 12th graders can enroll for free and get concurrent enrollment. The class is UCCSU transferable. Folks can visit www.ccsf.edu to enroll And so we welcome everyone to check out all of San Francisco City College's catalog as they are currently enrolling and have wonderful classes. They have something to offer everyone. We're going to play another song off Bang Dada's latest CD, Mucho Poco. And this song is called Tierra, featuring Hector Guerra.
6: (laughs)
8: tierra mi casa y mi familia y toda su alegría echo de menos su fiesta mi mí a mi primo y también a mi prima te extraño y no te conocí tu cultura nunca la viví aún así yo quiero sentir el latido de tu corazón la tierra en la tierra y la sangre en
6: The music in my life, love in my heart and always always on the mic, ready set it off, right with the fist, how I fight, so in tune with my plight, this place with a bass that embrace my race, my mouth is the law, it's an open shut case, neither here nor there, you could say I'm everywhere, I cross country lines like the braids in my hair, todo mundo quiero ver tu mano para el cielo, cuando miro para arriba siempre miro a mi abuelo, la conexión con mi raza es importante, grande, siempre para adelante, gigante, I am a
8: citizen, no matter what, in my hand. Not really when this.
0: Muchísimas gracias por estar aquí con nosotros. Thank you so much for listening to the program. La Raza Chronicles was produced by Nina Serrano, Vanessa Bohm, Vilma V, and myself, Julieta Kuznid. If you have any comments or any show ideas or would like to get involved, we'd love to hear from you. You can be in touch at la at kpfa.org. That's la Chronicles at kpfa.org. You can stay up on our news by liking our page on Facebook. You can also... Listen to past shows and listen to our archives at our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash La Chronicles. Muchísimas gracias y buenas noches.